Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Good morning, church. My name is Micah Osborne. For those who don't know me, I am a member of our youth group, and as you just saw, I'm a member of our youth band. (laughs) And... One of the reasons I just love our church is our mission statement. And it's something that if you're here for any amount of time, you're bound to hear it. And our mission statement is that we want to be a church that the 804 cannot live without. We want to make a lasting impact on our community. So this morning, I want to look at a church in the New Testament that gives us an example of what it looks like to be a part of a church that's influencing its community in such a way that the rest of the world has heard of its impact that it's making. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1 and read all the way through verse 10. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you have become an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we, meet, we need not to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And you wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So throughout history and our own lives, we see how salvation in this gospel radically changes people and saves people. And this text is just one example of a group being radically transformed by the power of the gospel. And to really understand this impact that this church has made, we need to understand Paul's previous experiences in this area in Thessalonica. So in our student ministry, we've started these growth groups, and it's just this group of students read through this text through the week, and we come together on Wednesday nights and just discuss what we've read in the Bible throughout the week. And as we were reading, I'm prepping for my sermon, and I come across Acts chapter 17, and in Acts chapter 17, Paul is run out of Thessalonica because he's sharing the gospel. People were jealous of people being saved, and he wasn't just run out, but there were riots that broke out in the city, and Paul had to flee for safety of his own life. And this was all a result of them preaching the gospel. So it might be surprising and interesting that we would find a church in Thessalonica, and even more surprising that we would find a church of this standing that was known as being this faithful and working out God's commandments. And this church gives us an example in 2022 of how to be a church that our area cannot live without. So we see in verse 2 that Paul gives thanks for them in his prayers constantly. And in a few moments, we'll come back to verse 3 to look at some specific things that Paul was thankful for. But before we do that, we have to look at what caused such a change in the believers in Thessalonica. So let's look back at verses 4 through 6. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, 
You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So we see in verse 5 that the gospel did not just come to them in words. They didn't just hear what Paul was saying, but rather the gospel message came to them with its full power and full conviction from the Holy Spirit. So Paul gives us evidence of this change in their lives. They had become imitators of Paul, and they were faithful in persecution. And in verse 7, it says that they had become an example to other believers in their area. So if we're going to look to this church as an example for us living out our mission, we need to be a church that the gospel is not just something we talk about and hear, but rather it's something that's radically changing us with full power and full conviction. So let's take a few moments to look at what Paul is talking about when he talks about this gospel. So turn to Romans 5 with me, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." So these just six verses in Romans, in essence, is the full message of the gospel, that we were totally separated from God. Our sin broke that relationship with God. And God sent down his son from heaven to die on the cross for our sins. And three days later, God rose him from the dead. And now we have faith and identity in that. So we see that there are two groups of people in this world. You have those who are enemies of God, and you have those who are children of God. And there's no in-between there. We a lot of times like to think about this gray area of I'm a good person or I do good things or I'm nice. But that's not going to save you. Jesus is the only thing that can save you. There's no in-between there. And the only way we become a child of God is by salvation in Jesus. It takes us from being an enemy to being a child. And there's no way to become that child without Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Being a good person will not save you. Doing good works will not save you. Nothing but Jesus can save you from God's wrath. And by becoming our sacrifice, Jesus made it possible to be justified before God and to be made clean. The crazy part about this is Jesus didn't die for me and you at our best, at our best moment when we're faithfully serving him. He died for us at our worst moment. That rock bottom point in your life where you had no hope that's, what, that's the person that Jesus died for. He died for you at your absolute worst. And if he died for me at my worst, which I know is pretty bad, he can save anybody. He saved me at my worst. He can save that lost friend that I have, my neighbor, a coworker, a classmate. He can even save the person that you and I have decided is not worth to share the gospel with because they're too far gone. God's power trumps our ability or our knowledge of what that person is going through and that he can save that person too. And there's a key word in these verses, and that word is reconcile. The word gospel just means good news. And the good news we hear in this gospel is that we've been reconciled to God. So when we think about what it means to reconcile something, it really just means to make something right, complete, or whole. 
Reconciliation in a relationship might look like asking for forgiveness or to make amends or to be accepting of someone's forgiveness, that we have to fix what was broken and make it right. And if we look at reconciliation in the sense of reconciling a debt that we owe, it would mean to completely pay off that debt, not partially, not halfway pay it off, but fully pay off that debt. And the reality here today is that everyone here feels the need to be reconciled or for things to be made right. Another way of saying this is we are looking to what will make us feel whole. And we may look to different things like careers, relationships, finances, peace, status, comfort. We're all looking for something in those to make us feel whole and make things feel right. And Romans 5 teaches us that being re- the only thing that can make us feel complete and whole is being reconciled and made right through Jesus. Everything else still leaves us feeling empty and needing more. It's only Jesus that can save us and reconcile us to God where we can find complete wholeness. So God has called us out of our sin to be saved or to be reconciled in him. If God has called us out of our sin and eternal suffering to spend eternity with him in heaven, it's only fair that we follow his commandments and serve him while we're here on earth. It would be ridiculous to say, you know what, God, you saved me. You've pulled me out of this eternal suffering to be in heaven with you. But I don't, I don't need to follow your commandments or listen to what you have for me to do now. I'm just going to go on and do my own thing, and I'll just come back to this whenever I'm feeling bad. That would be ridiculous. We see in this text in plenty of other places in the Bible that once we're saved, we are to act out God's commandments and uh, serve him faithfully. And part of that is that we are to cut off anything in our lives that would stop us from following Christ. This can be a person, a relationship, a TV show or movie, music you listen to, a habit, anything else. Following any of these things will not make you righteous in God's eyes, and it will become your master and make it impossible to serve God fully. In Matthew six twenty four, it says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And you can take money out and just fill in the blank with whatever it is. I cannot serve God and that sinful relationship. I cannot serve God and watch what I'm watching right now. I cannot serve God and listen to this music. And I know in my life, I struggle with letting Jesus drive my life and control my life. And for those who don't know me, I wrestle, and I love the sport of wrestling. I love the rush I get walking out on the mat. I love the people that I've met through the sport. I just really love the sport. But a few years ago, wrestling had become what my identity was in. It became what my hope was in. And I ended up tearing my ACL right before the postseason. And this was kind of a wake-up moment for me for what my identity was in. At any second, I could have this career-ending injury, and I could never wrestle ever again. And if that happened and my identity was in that wrestling, then my identity is also gone. I'm empty. I don't have anything that's fulfilling my life. And if I don't have that injury, when I graduate high school, I'm done. That's in a few years now. So that's just another way of that these things that we put our identity in that aren't Jesus will always end. If your identity is in a person or a relationship, what happens when that relationship ends or that person moves? If it's in your career or your job, what happens when you switch jobs or when you retire and that job is done? Everything in your life other than Jesus will be gone someday. Jesus is the only thing that we can put our identity in that cannot be taken from us. No person can take it from you. No group can take it from you. No, nothing can take Jesus out of our lives. And we need to realize this. We need to wake up and realize that anything that we decide to drive our lives other than Jesus will end. And the only thing that lasts forever is Jesus. 
So being reconciled to God brings wholeness. And gospel wholeness does not come from our own efforts, but rather by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. If we go back a few verses in Romans 5, we will see that we are declared righteous or whole by faith. This wholeness gives us a hope that does not disappoint. So let's look back in Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there are some here this morning that are trying to find that wholeness in something other than Jesus. And that weight of that sin and guilt and shame is becoming unbearable. And those here today that are dealing with that, you need to hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is not a promise of an easy life, but it is a promise that the work done needed to be reconciled with God has already been completed by Christ. And all that is required of us is to put our faith in Christ. So there are some here today that will hear this message and hear this gospel message, and it'll just be words. You'll walk out these doors and you won't believe it. You won't have any trust in it, and it'll have no power over your life. But there are some here today that will hear this message in this gospel with its full power and full conviction, and your life will be radically transformed. For those who are a part of the Heights Baptist, if we are going to be a church that the 804 cannot live without, we must first be a people that have been radically changed by the gospel and by Jesus. So looking back at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we see that Paul says, since receiving the message of the gospel with joy... They have become an example to all believers throughout their area. For the remainder of our time here today, let's look back at three ways Paul says that they are an example to the church like us today who wants to have a lasting impact on our area and beyond. So once we're saved, we are called to serve God and to share his word. As a church, we want to replicate this reputation that the Thessalonian church had. And they were known as a church that served God faithfully and fully. And this text shows us exactly what that looks like. In verse 3, gives us the mission of the church. So verse 3 says, Remembering before God and, and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church, we should be known for our works rooted in faith, the labor of love, and the perseverance of our hope. And the first part of that is the work of work rooted in faith. Now this could be easily misunderstood as me saying that your works are what save you or part of what saves you. But we know as Christians that this is not true. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that salvation comes by faith alone and not by our own works. But in James, it says that faith without works is dead. And I think this is summed up best by Martin Luther, who said, We are saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves is never alone. All of this means that our works are not a prerequisite of our faith and salvation, but rather they're a necessary product of our faith. And true faith will always lead to work. 
And this work is not to find purpose, but it flows out of my purpose and wholeness. It flows out of my identity in Christ and in the gospel, so I'm able to serve others freely. This can be serving in the church, volunteering in some sort of philanthropy, or even becoming a missionary. And we don't work in order to look good or to glorify ourselves, but rather to glorify God and to bring others into his family. And once we're saved, our faith becomes our lifestyle, and our primary job as a Christian is to glorify God. This means that the you that sits in church, the me that stands up here and talks, is the same person at work or at school. I am being impacted by my relationship with Christ all the time. Our faith is not just something, our part of us on Sunday morning at 9.15 and 10.45, but rather it's what defines us every day and every hour of every day. And the next thing we want to replicate is the Thessalonians' labor of love. So when this text was translated from Greek into English, it lost a little bit of its significance. The Greeks had three different words for love, and in this instant, Paul uses the Greek word agape, which is a type of love that is acting, it's active. It's not just a feeling, it's not that butterflies in your stomach. And the word he uses for labor here, kopos, is a labor that results in exhaustion and fatigue. So this love is not easy and it's not fun. This love is intentional. It's not something that's going to come natural. We have to choose and practice it. And for me, the easiest thing to compare this to in my life is a wrestling practice. Some days I feel great about going to practice and it's so fun and I'm just so ready to go to practice. And there's other days that that is the last thing I want to do. I am dreading going to practice. I just can't wait to get home. But even when I don't want to go, I still do go because I'm being held responsible by my coaches. It's what they've asked me to do in order to get better. And that relates back to the labor of love, that we've been commanded by God to do this, and by doing it, it becomes easier if we make it a habit. And the Bible gives us several examples of what it looks like to love one another. In fact, Jesus tells us in John 13, 35, that the world will know that we follow him because of how we love one another. This labor of love requires us to die to ourselves and live for something greater. And the last thing we should replicate is their perseverance of hope. And we know that this was a church that was flourishing in the middle of persecution. In verse 6, it says they were were, uh, acting out in severe persecution. They were able to persevere because their hope was in something greater than anything that this world had to offer. So there are two places that we can find our hope and identity. Jesus and anything else. Having a hope and identity in Jesus will result in joy and a sense of identity. Having your identity and hope in anything else will result in a lack of identity and despair. So we see that having this hope in Jesus is fulfilling. It fills us. And the Thessalonians had their hope in Jesus, and this allowed them to serve and glorify God to the fullest of their ability without worrying about what others would think or what others might do to them. Having a hope in Jesus and the joy that comes along with that when displayed by true believers is attractive to non-believers. They will see that you are joyful in this midst of persecution and they'll come to you and they say, what do you have that I don't have that you're able to, maintain, that you're able to stay joyful? And it gives you the perfect opportunity to share the gospel. And not only that, but it's encouraging to other believers to have that true role model to follow after. And we are called to imitate true Christians. And if you have that person in your life, it's easier to imitate them because you know that their hope is in Jesus. So two questions for us about our hope this morning. One, where's your hope? Is it solely in Jesus or are you looking to find joy in the unstable things of this world? And two, 
do others see evidence of your hope being in Jesus? Another way of asking this question is, what would others say that you are looking for to find wholeness? What are you known for? The best thing we get from our hope in Jesus is it makes the first two points, the works rooted in faith and the labor of love, easier. Notice, I did not say easy, but easier. These things will never be easy. But when our hope and identity are in Jesus, it makes working for Jesus and loving others easier because when our hope is in Jesus, we will naturally imitate Jesus's actions. So if we're gonna be a church the 804 cannot live without, we must first be a church that is known for the power of the gospel, our works rooted in faith, our labor motivated by love, and the perseverance inspired by our hope in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for all the people that are in here today. I thank you for this awesome opportunity that you've given me just to share your word and preach in front of our congregation. Lord, I hope that those here today who are not saved and do not have their hope in you, that this message would come to them in full power and full conviction and that they would radically transform in your salvation and having faith in you. And Lord, again, I just thank you for this awesome opportunity. I thank you for everyone in here. I'm so thankful for our church and what we want to accomplish out as a church body. And again, I just thank you for all of this and everything that you've done for all of us. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, man. Great word, Micah. Um, man, just so encouraging to hear uh, how God has used you. And you guys uh, saw some Micah, you saw our youth band. Uh, if you were in an adult life group, you might have had one of our students, uh, teacher group this morning, and they're all over the church for you Sunday today. And so proud of each and every, uh, uh, youth member that participated today. Um, you know, as we, as we leave here today, you know, that's a great word of encouragement to, to think about how, what are we known for? Like, are, are we known for our hope in Jesus? If we're going to make a, a difference in our community, we're going to let God do something amazing in a, uh, through us in our community. We need to be people who are known by our hope in the gospel. I mean, I hope that is your, your goal and your desire as you leave today. And uh, if you find yourself, you're like, man, I've, I've heard about this Jesus guy and, and about the power of the gospel, but I don't really know what that means for my life. As you leave, we have a, uh, a desk out the middle, middle called the Next Step Desk. Uh, we have some, some team members that would love to chat with you a little more about uh, uh, Jesus and, and the gospel. And uh, if you're new, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, go to that same desk and they would love to, uh, to meet you as well. Um, you know, over the course of the past few months, we've also had dozens and dozens of dozens of baptisms and you're like, man, I, I have been radically changed by the power of the gospel, and I want to make that uh, change in my life public. Uh, baptism is the next step for you. And that, the, the same uh, group of people at that desk can help you uh, get set up for baptism. But, man, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord today. Thank you, Micah, for, uh, for leading us in, in a message. Now, our job, church, is to go out and live a life that is... Uh, allowing God to call the shots of how we live and how we love. Let's go and be a church that the 804 cannot live without. You guys have a great week. Thanks so much for coming.